Hello, and thanks a lot for checking out episode five of Bike Karma, stories about bicycles and people by me, Tom Brown. This time we interview the crew from Beardman Bicycles from Rhode Island. We have Scott Krowitz, Tom Gomes, and Jason Cloutier. Had a great talk with them right after the Dudley, Massachusetts bicycle swap meet back in February. There are a few of those a year. Keep an eye out for them. And we also talk about spring is the season for swap meets, as well as me taking some very drastic measures to improve my Italian. All this and just a little bit more this time on Bike Karma. So I want you to imagine you wake up one morning, nice and early, and you go out to a bicycle swap meet in Massachusetts. After looking at all the beautiful bikes that people are showing and swapping and selling, you meet a couple guys and you go hang out at the donut shop. And that's where this interview takes place. And I'm not able to clean out all those noises. So if you would, get a cup of coffee, pretend that you're there with us, with three guys from the Beardman Bicycle Shop having an interview about bikes and just talking and having some donuts. Enjoy. All right, let's uh, huddle in as close as we can here. All right. All right, welcome to Bike Karma. I am here at Dippin' Donuts in Dudley, Massachusetts with um, a crowd of people getting donuts and thank you very much Jason for the donut I appreciate it oh you're welcome my pleasure and uh, here we are with the Beardman bicycle team yes and we've got Scott, Scott Krowitz uh, Tom Gomes sorry I mispronounced your name there and Jason Cloutier uh, so you guys are out of Seekonk Providence in Pawtucket correct That's right and yeah. uh, you guys built some pretty cool bikes so I'm here Bike Karma uh, podcast is all about just bringing different people together. So we're going to talk to people who may be like the swap meet that we just went to, where mm -hmm. they're like really into bikes, or they might be people who are just riders or who haven't even ridden for a while. So what makes a person, like I know when you go and you have a pizza and it's not that good and you say to yourself, I could do better than that, and you make your own pizza at home and you teach yourself how to make it, what makes a guy look at the bikes that are out there and say to himself, I'm gonna make my own frame. Cause that, there's a huge step there between fixing and making your own frames. What makes you say to yourself, I'm gonna make my own frame? What was that, what was that reason? That's a good question. Um, I feel like uh, my wife uh, was the main, main ingredient there looking at uh, me buying bikes, suggesting the possibility of uh, me just building my own might cut down in the habit of buying, you know, tons and tons of other bikes. And that's how I, I think we initially started. So that was a misconception <laughs> on her part, right? <laughs> yes, because the sheds are still full and there's plenty of parts everywhere. And uh, although the habit has died down, yeah, now I just have more of my own hand-built bikes around. So. so was it like you would look at a bike and it wouldn't be quite perfect to you? Uh, I think it was more the artist just deciding to make something his own, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, look at that t-shirt. Well, I could screen print one at home or, 
you know, oh, look at those handmade jeans. I could make one of those at home. You know, it's uh, just it's an like artist life. Like, yeah. You feel like you could touch that, so you decide to make it. You know, it's like own. Christmas shopping yep. with your, your wife for gifts and, you know, you, everything you look at. No, we could just make that. We could definitely make that, you know. <laughs> and she's like, yeah, okay, keep adding to the list. So you're making some beautiful bikes. Thank How you. How many have you made so far? Uh, I think we've made like 20, 20, 25 bikes on and off between uh, initial demos, uh, early on bikes, and ones we've sold. So comparing that to somebody like Trek? A lot less. So a lot less than Trek. But here you are, you're basically making bikes from scratch. Yep. How does that start? How do you, how do you go ahead and start with that and make... You're, you're basically giving birth to a whole new company, a whole new brand name. Yep. And a new, t a new type of bike with your own swing on it. How does it start? How, How does, does it start? start? Like, where do you go? Do you have, like, a tubing in mind that you're like, I've seen this uh, on other bikes? Or you have, where do you go for the materials? I, th I think the, the main thing it starts with is uh, just simply keeping self-initiated. You know, you can't wait for can't wait for the perfect moment to make an artwork because otherwise you'll never make anything you know that's what I was told so same thing with the bikes you know I think you gotta self-initiate a project you know whether it be um, like right now we're working on a cargo bike Tom's helping out and uh, kind of you know we, we bought a bike early on decided you know my son really liked riding it, it seemed like a cool design well let's try to make something very similar that you know it's kind of in our style that you know I, I think is uh, very unique and um, self-initiate. We don't have a client for it, but, you know, just go ahead with it. Uh, mm -hmm. Tubing selections, I think it's just, uh, you know, the shape, the size, what fits the need, the purpose, um, and looking at what we got and what we can use. You know, a lot of the stuff just comes down to tubing we've acquired that, you know, I think we can use that in this project. Let's try to make it work, you know. So as you're starting to do this stuff yourselves, are you finding, like, lugs that you particularly like or are you welding or are you doing both or what's what are the where are the processes that you uh, up guys and, are using? Up until this point a lot of it's been lugless. Um, I know Tom is, has, has thought about doing some lug work at the shop so I mean I, I think that might be an area we're going to pursue. Yeah a little thing you know it's kind of a lot of, a lot of what we do is <clears throat> if we're building something to try it out an experimental thing sort of like the, the cargo bike we're sort of figuring out, you know, what, what will be what will be good, and then down the line, if customers are interested in them, um, as far as material selection, tubing selection, welding versus lugs, it also depends on what the the customer wants, because there's a custom aspect to, to all the stuff that that Beard Man will build. So. so, how much does it cost if I if I was somebody who wanted a bike? How much would it cost for me to walk in and say I'd like something like a touring bike? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, like you have that nice purple touring bike that I saw up on. Yeah, we try to, I mean, you know, we start with a frame and fork, you know, $1,750 to $2,000 for a frame and fork, um, and then it just goes anywhere from there. I mean, parts is a good part of the conversation. A lot of people say, you know, I have I have this big box of parts I'd like to use, and then it's sort of like, well, let's, let's see what you've got, see what's usable and what we can make work in this project, you know. So that's... Because there's always possibilities that, you know, well, this isn't going to work, or, you know, this is going to require us to do something a little different, but... I think all the projects have been very unique in that circumstance. I mean, that's very reasonable for a custom-made 
frame. You know, so we're not talking just boutique items. We're talking something where somebody's bringing in a box of parts to you, and you're working with them. Yeah. So customers could be at a whole bunch of different places on the spectrum. And between Tom and Jay, I mean, the best part about them is that they have a wide selection of older parts and stuff in their basement, shed, garage space. Uh, you know, same as same as me, and. Um, you know, it's sort of looking at, well, like we're going to build this this touring bike for the show. Um, you know, Tom, what do you got for parts that we can make work on it? And if so, you know, what kind of accommodations do we have to make to make the parts work, you know, with the project? Yeah, so rather than just building a new frame with a nice paint job and then ordering a bunch of brand new parts off the shelf, just because of kind of our collective uh, experience and collecting bike swap uh, parts at swaps like we went today. Yeah. Um, you know, we can come up with a bit of sort or some vintage stuff or some, some stuff that's unique, um, you know, to make it a, you know, kind of a mix of new and old. And I think the other surprise, you know, 26-inch wheels is not something I was very familiar with, and Jay is a, a collector of 26-inch wheels, rims, tires. Uh, he has most of the... Uh, most of the United States uh, collection of that in his, his personal collection. <laughs> so. I probably got more 26-inch rims than any bike shop you can run into right now. Oh, my God. All right, so here, like just, just for my own to help me, because mm -hmm. I'm going to show up with a whole bunch of bike parts that I bought today at home. In my sure. like, How many bikes you got at home right now? Tom, Ooh. what do you got? Well, at home, I only have, like, Two. I don't have most, but uh, that's, you're not helping. That's, you're that's not, not helping, That's brother. not the most that I have. I, I don't. I can't fit them at home. No. All right. He's got a lot more parts, I think. Jay, what do you got? Oh, I'm counting in my head. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, probably twenty. Okay. Between frames and projects in progress and rideable bikes. Okay. And I, I think I'm probably in the 30 range, I think. Uh, I mean, that's that's good. I, I think we donated a lot of it uh, to some of the recycling bike programs over the summer. We made multiple trips, like four trips, and I think we got rid of a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Okay, so, so yeah, that's, that's good. Note, note to my wife at home, yeah, I, so I will bad. try and get it down a little bit more. Okay, so. all right, that's good. Get more in line with these guys. So, yeah, the, the two that I have are the ones at my apartment right now, but probably at 25 to 30 sort of complete bikes, and then many, many more frames. And yeah. <laughs> We're all looking at the number he uh, wrote down. Yeah, I had to write it, and they can't even say it out loud. Yeah, but well, anyway. Before we, we made those four halls to Providence, you were, we're probably above, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so that's right. good. Well, I have a bike cooperative I work with too, by where I am. So a lot of stuff that I'm gonna find. <laughs> as, uh, as after far my as I'm sloppy. concerned, nobody has enough bikes. N plus one. <laughs> that's true. N plus yeah. one right. is the formula. All right. So, um, what differentiates Beardman Bikes as a brand? Mm, good question. Like, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of people across the country you can go to, and they're making up their own things. What what makes you guys, you guys? No, I mean, I, I guess it comes down to, you know, anyone creating any sort of art. I mean, it, you know, it's, it's going to be slightly different from anyone else making art in some fashion. You know, I, I've been told certain, certain builders have splashy paint jobs. Uh, some use very vibrant colors. Some use very dull colors. I don't know. I mean, right now I feel like I'm on a run of uh, sort of gradients with a little bit of an 80s sort of splatter paint style to it. Uh, very subtle, but I, I guess that's been a big ticket in my head. 
paint job wise, um, style wise, I guess fun, friendly, you know, geometries and all the ingredients to the Beardman style is, is a little funk, a little bit of funky to it, you know, nothing too standard, but just something a little different, you know, whether it be how the candy mounts are on there, maybe just something kind of aesthetics different to it, or they do look happy. the rack, the, you know, the rack's a little different than normal, just a little more fun, a little more, like, wave to them, maybe. Yeah, definitely designs that are on the, the long-lasting, durable side, you know, rather than super light and racy. Mm. Something that's something that's gonna hold up for a while. Classical New England too. Um, segmented fork, segmented stays. It's kind of started here. It's grown. Um, CSIP does that style now too. Now for people who don't know, when you say a segmented fork, segmented stays, what it what does that look like? Well rather than a, a regular crown and the the blades plugged in, it's actually just a series of tubes that are all welded together, fish mouth and um, you know put together. So the whole I guess kind of boxy. Exactly. Right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah, the idea behind the design is it gives you a lot of clearance for mud or fenders, whatever you want. So that's another. I think that's another. So it's trade of the Beardman bike. So yeah, functional for New England. So, so almost taking that with uh, sort of where we are with the cargo bike. I mean the same kind of thing. We're kind of implementing a little segmented style into it. You know, just for not even just so much a function, just something that's kind of aesthetically pleasing. Yeah, a lot of room for the customer to decide a wide range of tire sizes they can fit on there, whether they want to run fenders or not, whether they want to run racks or not. So making the bikes really versatile for, for everyday use. A lot of people who buy a road bike, they get funneled into buying a racing bike by mm -hmm. the shop because, you know, that's what's pushed. Mm -hmm. And then they realize that they can't buy a thicker tire for it. Right. Like you literally can't fit a thicker tire on it. So I'm totally with you in terms of having the ability to put a thinner tire or a thicker tire on. It's something people might not think about all the time. But uh, I, the last interview, I talked to Kion Wolf about um, her bike. She bought one at a swap meet, and it's a chromoly frame. And I said one of the beautiful things about that is that you could, if you take care of it, literally ride it forever. Mm -hmm. And aluminum, after a while, it, it has a shelf life to it. It takes enough hits, it will eventually crack someday. If it's ridden hard, it'll be a long time, but it won't be the type of thing that you can keep handing down and handing down and handing down. When you guys are using steel, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So steel, you know, theoretically, these bikes could last generations. As and I think going back, I mean, I guess that's one thing I look, I would implement with Beardman. The one thing we I think strive for is longevity and um, you know the lifetime of it. You know, just being always around. You know, something that's custom but long-lasting and durable. You know, I, I think is the main thing we go for. One thing that's really always been important to me, uh, outside of the, the bicycle world, has been reusing and recycling stuff just to you know, keep things out of the landfill. Uh, I had I was involved with recycle a bike in Providence for a number of years, where we were doing just that, taking bikes that would have otherwise just ended up in the dump and rehabbing them so people can ride them. Um, you know, Beardman Bicycles makes bikes out of steel, so eventually any bike ridden long enough will, you know, rust through or break or things can happen, but steel is very easily repairable, so tubes can be replaced. It's something you just can't do with aluminum or carbon or some of the other bikes, at least not easily. Um, and we've and had then, a lot of repairs and stuff come yeah, through. Yeah, and that's the other thing that we offer service too is, so if you have an old steel bike that you want to, 
change some parts on it, add fenders to, maybe replace a broken or More clearance tool. or whatever it's be. Yeah, I those, mean, those it, are all things that we can do as well. And it's something emotionally that just feels good. I mean, you go to the cell phone store and your cell phone's like two years old. The guy acts like it's, you know, like 50 years old. Yeah, could you, we just want to, yeah. I'd like this phone kind of upgraded. Could we just like, you know, chop it in half, weld on the other half and... You know, get it updated this year, more clearance, more bigger screen maybe. Like, no, sorry, sir. Yeah. So, I mean, we live in, people are frustrated with that throwaway mentality where things have a shelf life literally of like a year and that uh, planned obsolescence is something I totally hate. From the moment I heard about what that was, you know, just planning to engineer something to fail eventually. And, sustainability um, comes to mind. Right. right. So sustainability is, you know, when this guy came up with this great idea, and I give him credit, and I don't have any bad feelings about him, but he came up with this idea for cardboard bikes. Mm-hmm. And I've actually and seen I, this. And yeah. the first thing that I thought to myself is there are enough chromoly frames sitting around in the world <laughs> that if you Everyone just, could have a bike. If right. you just rehabilitated them. You wouldn't have to worry about cardboard bikes because these steel frame bikes can pretty much be repaired and reused on an ongoing basis. So short term, I'm sure the cardboard bike seems like a great idea, but where's that going to go in like five years from now? It's going to be something that's thrown away. Hmm. Yeah, and, and then the other thing to consider too, in just in terms of the material, uh, energy-wise, and the production of the material and reusing it, um, the steel is the most economical, the smallest carbon footprint. So uh, it just makes a lot of sense, even as a raw material to use. But, and it gives a good feeling ride to it as well. I mean, it's this, more forgiving this, than aluminum. You know, it's nothing I like, you know, more than, you know, buying a pair of pants and, you know, having to buy another pair of pants in a month because they seem to be, like, literally falling apart on me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd rather, you know, I'd rather buy a pair for, you know, $75, $80, and if they last five years, that'd be terrific. It'd be awesome. You know, but I'd still try to repair them. Yep. Know. All right, so not only do you guys take and make new bikes, you know, making your own frames and finding new old stock parts and new parts to put onto it, if somebody came in and they had a beloved steel road bike, Mm -hmm. you also do painting? Yeah, we have enough resources between offering services like repaints, uh, fabrication, modifications, repairs, uh, wet paint, powder coat, you know, in sourcing maybe old parts and stuff like that you might need, you know, that aren't working anymore or yep. don't have for it. And then, yeah, repair, you know, repairing damage to, uh, to old bike frames and even some components, whether it's filling in or removing dents or replacing damaged tubes, uh, I know, and then the, the, the refinishing associated with that. So, cool. I had a large amount of, like, fork steers, actually. It was a run of fork steers that needed to be repaired, so. Yeah. You just can't go anywhere to have it done, so. One of the hardest things for like a, a, a novice flipper to do is to get a decent looking paint job. And I, you can't get it with a spray can. It's, it's an art. It really is an art to getting that and to get it powder coated instead. I try never to repaint a good bike with decals on it from back in the day. I try and seal it off and clean it up. But, yep. but sometimes they're just too far gone. And to, to, to have those connections or bring it to you and have you have that network where you've got the the powder coating, you could um, find some old parts uh, or some new old stock parts that may be a little bit harder to find and stuff like that. And you're into that network, so you won't go and try and talk somebody into just buying a new bike and getting rid of that. You'd, you'd actually be the ones who could figure it out for them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, make that bike, you know, 
live another uh, 50 years, you know, why not? Yeah, so if, yeah, if somebody's got a, a favorite frame that they want to, you know, commute on and ride it year-round, then yeah, we, we've got the, the resources to, to get the frame with a durable powder-coated finish on it, or if somebody's got something uh, old they want to keep as a collectible and Maybe, it's a, it maybe it's a road bike, racing bike right now, but you know they want to kind of make it a little more commuter friendly, or perhaps there's some way we can make it more purposeful. You know, big and small. Yeah. yeah. From that to like you know just a, a full-on restoration, we've got the resources. With, you know, know some of the, the best painters for bicycles in the country that you know can do a close to original uh, restoration paint shop. And that's what they're looking to do. So. And even graphics, we can uh, reproduce graphics. Uh, make it look like it was new. Mm -hmm. Cool. Cool. So, uh, where, the, where would people find you? They can find us over at beardmanbicycles.com. Uh, they can also look us up on Instagram. I think it's uh, Beardman Bicycles. And uh, just Google Beardman Bicycles in general. Uh, we should come up. Okay. Cool. Now i got to ask you the question that I ask all my interviewees. It's my shtick. Okay. Ready? What's the weirdest thing you've seen biking on the side of the road? It's <laughs> a good one. <clears throat> I saw Tom? my strangest encounter was probably came within six inches of hitting a deer while I was mountain biking on some trails. So. <laughs> Just like that commercial <laughs> with the guy running. I've seen that one. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't phased by me at all. Jason, anything strange? Yeah, East Bay Bike Path, um, you get a totally, totally different perspective on the city of Providence, and then the East Bay, um, east side of Narragansett Bay. Um, usually, you're just flying through there on the highway, and it's it's interesting to see what it looks like from the other side. And I, I don't think anything really absurdly strange. Sometimes underwear, sometimes other oddball stuff. I mean. But I think usually the most fun is uh, if I can catch up with Tom and Jay and we take a ride on a Sunday morning for coffee and donuts. Just cutting through the woods, getting lost, and then finding like old abandoned cars, you know, in the woods. You know, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, Ex except you realize that it's actually Father's Day or some other <laughs> holiday, and I'm supposed to be home in an hour, and none of us can manage to find our way back. Oops. And I'm going to be late, and yeah, it's going to be hell to pay. Actually, Jay mentioned the East Bay bike path of that. I think of something even better. Every year, I ride the East Bay bike path from Providence to Bristol on 4th of July for the parade. And that's 13 miles of the weirdest stuff you'll ever see riding a bike. So <laughs> There's a lot of characters out on the, oh, yes, there on the 4th of July. So. All right, I'm going to give that a try. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. Scott, us. Tom, Jason, thank you very much for Beardman Bicycles. And, uh, and that's beard, not beer, although we do like beer. Uh, we've had people uh, try to look us up as beer man bicycles, and um, I, we might have to register that as well, but we are beard with a D, hair on the face. And now it's time for a correction and a confession on Bike Karma. Unfortunately, I have conditioned myself over the last several years to pronounce the word Bianchi, Bianchi wrong. And every time I see the word Bianchi, I say it Bianchi. And if I was asked on a test, what 
the actual word is, I, w- I would get it right. I would say it's Bianchi. But because I read it and I've conditioned myself, I've kind of made a mistake that happens every time I say it. So I got corrected on it. I own it. I appreciate you guys calling in and letting me know that I said it wrong. Uh, so in the spirit of that, uh, I have agreed to some shock therapy to try and yeah, condition myself good. from from the whole seeing it and pronouncing it one way, but knowing that it's pronounced another way. So I have uh, with me in the studio now is uh, Dr. Tiefzuverletzen. Nein! Okay. Um, Nein. Sorry about that. And... You have hooked me up to some electrodes. Yeah, there, yeah. there it goes. And that's those are going to go off whenever I say the word Bianchi. I, I mean, that's it again. Bianchi. You need to make up with your pronunciation. Uh, so here, here we go. Uh, so here starting go. now, I'm going to look at the word, and I see it, and I want to say Bianchi. No. I was just saying that there I wanted to say that, but I'm actually going to say Bianchi. Bianchi. No, no. By nine. Shy. Nine. Oh, God, that hurts. Uh, by shy. By nine. The shots are really making it difficult to focus. Honestly, could you please with the? No, I didn't even say Bianchi. 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 Nine. I'm I'm saying it right now. Stop shocking. Okay. Okay. Bianchi. Bianchi. Perfect for you, Fermati. Perfect for you, Fermati. Better. Ciao. Not until you PayPal me for the treatment. Now. Well, it's springtime, and that means it's swap meet season. Now, swap meets might not be something for bicycles that you think of right off the bat. You might think it's only for really hardcore people, like, you know, dealers and flippers and stuff like that. But it's not. Believe it or not, there's a lot of things that you wouldn't expect to find at a bicycle swap meet, such as books. I've gotten some of the coolest books that I've read on bikes at swap meets. And I probably wouldn't have gotten them on Amazon because a lot of them are out of print. One of the things I love the most about Swap Meets is that it brings together people from all kinds of different genres. And you'll walk across a parking lot and walk into another world. So you'll see the BMX guy next to the balloon tire guy next to the 10-speed guy next to the high-end Italian parts guy. It's all right there within walking distance, and it's like a Wikipedia of knowledge. You can ask any questions, and people usually love to talk unless they're right in the middle of making a big deal. Um, But there's demos. You can try different types of bikes and take them for a spin around the parking lot, and as long as you're friendly and not a jerk about it, most people don't really mind. There's all kinds of great deals you can pick up there. Usually, things that collectors wouldn't be looking for are like not that expensive so like that extra saddlebag that you wanted to carry some tools or even a spare multi-tool might be something that you can really get a deal on from somebody 
you can usually pick up a couple of tires pretty inexpensively as well as to maybe get a rack for the back of your bike or for the back of your car. Now if you're sitting back saying, darn it, bike karma guy, there's no swap meets around me, well you can do what I did. Uh, the closest swap meets that I could find were in Massachusetts, which is the next state over. So after going to that one for a couple of years, I actually started my own in my hometown with one of the clubs that I work with. So come check it out. It's June 5th this year, and it's in Wethersfield, Connecticut. You can email me at bikekarmaguy at gmail.com. We got all kinds of things going on. We got Sad Bike, where kids try and guess all the things that are wrong with it to earn their mechanics mustaches. And this year, we're going to have a Chamber of Horrors type sideshow of bike parts, as well as a flat tire changing clinic. There's plenty of organizations out there that might be interested. It's a great fundraiser for a club or a riding group. It's a great chance for people to get together and just hang out in the morning. A lot of people go for a ride afterwards. They usually break up before 12. Enjoy the springtime and keep a lookout. Even if it's not exactly for your genre of biking, go to it check it out see what's see what's up but hands down the best thing that you're gonna get there is the motivation to get back involved with your bikes from talking to other people who are passionate about their bikes and that's what bike karma is all about Thank you for joining me for another episode of Bike Karma. I'd like to thank all the guys from Beardman Bikes. I'd like to thank my friend Eric G for all his support and encouragement. All the people who have been listening, I really appreciate it. Our opening and closing music this week is from Mobjack, mobjackmusic.com, and Keller Glass, who has a couple of new songs out. Give them a listen to, you really like them. And a shout out to Mike from the Dudley Do Right Flea Market for the awesome bike show and flea market swap that they had back up in February. It was an awesome time with lots of different bikes on an unseasonably warm day. So we're on episode five, and I'm finally gonna ask you for something, a big favor, and it's totally free. If you could, please give me a review on iTunes. Once I get past a certain number of reviews, I'll actually post them. But I need to reach that critical mass first. So also, if you want to consider sharing some stories, I'm open to it. No matter the length of the story, I really want to open up to some uh, BMX and some rat rod stories, as well as crate bikes and other stuff like that. All kinds of genres are going to be included on the program, so uh, please share your ideas either in writing or you can uh, give me an email and then I'll contact you from there. If you're on Podbean, please uh, follow the show if you like it. And if you don't like it, send me some feedback because I would love to hear it. Bike Karma and the Bicycle Karma Cat are trademarks of Tom Brown as well as the Bicycle Karma Project, podcast and stories about bicycles and people, all rights reserved. And as always, till next time, keep it wheeled.